Chapter Sixteen, Part Two of The Teeth of the Tiger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teeth of the Tiger by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Sixteen. Weber takes his revenge. The prefect continued. Let us speak of the documents, Reverend Mother. Where do they come from? Yesterday, Monsieur le Préfet, I found in my room a communication in which the writer proposed to send me some papers that interested Florence Levasseur. How did anyone know that she was here? asked Monsieur de Malion, interrupting her. I can't tell you. The letter simply said that the papers would be at Versailles, at the poste restante in my name, on a certain day, that is to say, this morning. I was also asked not to mention them to anybody, and to hand them at three o'clock this afternoon to Florence Levasseur, with instructions to take them to the prefect of police at once. I was also requested to have a letter conveyed to Sergeant Mazeroux. To Sergeant Mazeroux? That's odd. That letter appeared to have to do with the same business. Now I am very fond of Florence, so I sent the letter, and this morning went to Versailles and found the papers there as stated. When I got back, Florence was out. I was not able to hand them to her until her return at about four o'clock. Where were the papers posted? In Paris. The postmark on the envelope was that of the Avenue Nil, which happens to be the nearest office to this. And did not the fact of finding that letter in your room strike you as strange? Certainly, Monsieur le Préfet, but no stranger than all the other incidents in the matter. Nevertheless, continued Monsieur de Malion, who was watching Florence's pale face, nevertheless, when you saw that the instructions which you received came from this house, and that they concerned a person living in this house, did you not entertain the idea that that person— The idea that Florence had entered the room unknown to me for such a purpose, cried the superior, Oh, Monsieur le Préfet, Florence is incapable of doing such a thing. The girl was silent, but her drawn features betrayed the feelings of alarm that upset her. Don Luis went up to her and said, The mystery is clearing, Florence, isn't it? And you are suffering in consequence. Who put the letter in Mother Superior's room? You know, don't you? And you know who is conducting all this plot. She did not answer. Then, turning to the deputy chief, the prefect said, Weber, please go and search the room which Mademoiselle Lafassard occupied and in reply to the nun's protest, "'It is indispensable,' he declared, "'that we should know the reasons why Mademoiselle Levasseur preserves such an obstinate silence.' Florence herself led the way, but as Weber was leaving the room, Don Luis exclaimed, "'Take care, Deputy Chief!' "'Take care? Why?' "'I don't know,' said Don Luis, who really could not have said why Florence's behaviour was making him uneasy. "'I don't know. Still, I warn you.' Weber shrugged his shoulders, and, accompanied by the superior, moved away. In the hall he took two men with him. Florence walked ahead. She went up a flight of stairs and turned down a long corridor, with rooms on either side of it, which after turning a corner led to a short and very narrow passage ending in a door. This was her room. The door opened not inward into the room, but outward into the passage. Florence therefore drew it to her, stepping back as she did so, which obliged Weber to do likewise. She took advantage of this to rush in and close the door behind her so quickly that the deputy chief, when he tried to grasp the handle, merely struck the air. He made an angry gesture. "'The baggage! She means to burn some papers!' And turning to the superior, "'Is there another exit to the room?' "'No, monsieur.' He tried to open the door, but she had locked and bolted it. Then he stood aside to make way for one of his men, a giant, who with one blow of his fist smashed a panel. Weber pushed by him, put his arm through the opening, drew the bolt, turned the key, pulled open the door, and entered. Florence was no longer in her room. A little open window opposite showed the way she had taken. "'Oh, curse my luck!' he shouted. "'She's cut off!' And hurrying back to the staircase, he roared over the balusters. "'Watch all the doors! She's got away! Collar her!' M. de Malion came hurrying up. Meeting the deputy, he received his explanations and then went on to Florence's room. 
The open window looked out on a small inner yard, a sort of well which served to ventilate a part of the house. Some rain-pipes ran down the wall. Florence must have let herself down by them. But what coolness and what an indomitable will she must have displayed to make her escape in this manner! The detectives had already distributed themselves on every side to bar the fugitive's road. It soon became manifest that Florence, for whom they were hunting on the ground floor and in the basement, had gone from the yard into the room underneath her own, which happened to be the mother superior's, that she had put on a nun's habit, and that thus disguised she had passed unnoticed through the very men who were pursuing her. They rushed outside, but it was now dark, and every search was bound to be vain in so populous a quarter. The prefect of police made no effort to conceal his displeasure. Don Luis was also greatly disappointed at this flight, which thwarted his plans, and enlarged openly upon Weber's lack of skill. "'I told you so, Deputy Chief. You should have taken your precautions. Mademoiselle Levasseur's attitude ought to have warned you. She evidently knows the criminal, and wanted to go to him, ask him for explanations, and for all we can tell, save him, if he managed to convince her. And what will happen between them? When the villain sees that he is discovered, he will be capable of anything.' M. de Malion again questioned the mother superior, and soon learned that Florence, before taking refuge in the nursing home, had spent forty-eight hours in some furnished apartments on the Ile Saint-Louis. The clue was not worth much, but they could not neglect it. The prefect of police, who retained all his doubts with regard to Florence, and attached extreme importance to the girl's capture, ordered Weber and his men to follow up this trail without delay. Don Luis accompanied the deputy chief. Events at once showed that the prefect of police was right. Florence had taken refuge in the lodging-house on the Ile Saint-Louis, where she had engaged a room under an assumed name. But she had no sooner arrived than a small boy called at the house, asked for her, and went away with her. They went up to her room and found a parcel done up in a newspaper, containing a nun's habit. The thing was obvious. Later, in the course of the evening, Weber succeeded in discovering the small boy. He was the son of the porter of one of the houses in the neighborhood. Where could he have taken Florence? When questioned, he definitely refused to betray the lady who had trusted him, and who had cried when she kissed him. His mother entreated him. His father boxed his ears. He was inflexible. In any case, it was not unreasonable to conclude that Florence had not left the Ile Saint-Louis or its immediate vicinity. The detectives persisted in their search all the evening. Weber established his headquarters in a tap-room where every scrap of information was brought to him, and where his men returned from time to time to receive his orders. He also remained in constant communication with the prefect's office. At half-past ten a squad of detectives, sent by the prefect, placed themselves at the deputy chief's disposal. Mazeroux, newly arrived from Rouen and furious with Florence, joined them. The search continued. Don Luis had gradually assumed its management, and it was he who, so to speak, inspired Weber to ring at this or that door, and to question this or that person. At eleven o'clock the hunt still remained fruitless, and Don Luis was the victim of an increasing and irritating restlessness. But shortly after midnight a shrill whistle drew all the men to the eastern extremity of the island, at the end of the Quai d'Anjou. Two detectives stood waiting for them, surrounded by a small crowd of onlookers. They had just learned that, some distance farther away, on the Quai Henri IV, which does not form part of the island, a motor-car had pulled up outside a house, that there was the noise of a dispute, and that the cab had subsequently driven off in the direction of Vincennes. They hastened to the Quai Henri IV, and at once found the house. There was a door on the ground floor opening straight on the pavement. The taxi had stopped for a few minutes in front of this door. Two persons, a woman and a man leading her along, had left the ground floor flat. When the door of the taxi was shut, a man's voice had shouted from the inside, "'Drive down the boulevard Saint-Germain and along the quays, then take the Versailles road.' But the porter's wife was able to furnish more precise particulars. 
puzzled by the tenant of the ground floor, whom she had only seen once in the evening, who paid his rent by cheques signed in the name of Charles, and who but very seldom came to his apartment, she had taken advantage of the fact that her lodge was next to the flat to listen to the sound of voices. The man and the woman were arguing. At one moment the man cried in a louder tone, "'Come with me, Florence. I insist upon it, and I will give you every proof of my innocence to-morrow morning.' and if you nevertheless refuse to become my wife, I shall leave the country. All my preparations are made. A little later he began to laugh, and again raising his voice said, Afraid of what, Florence? That I shall kill you, perhaps? No, no, have no fear. The portress had heard nothing more. But was this not enough to justify every alarm? Don Luis caught hold of the deputy chief. Come along, I knew it. The man is capable of anything. It's the tiger. He means to kill her. He rushed outside, dragging the deputy toward the two police motors waiting five hundred yards down. Meanwhile, Mazeroux was trying to protest. "'It would be better to search the house, to pick up some clues.' "'Oh!' shouted Don Luis, increasing his pace. "'The house and the clues will keep. But he's gaining ground, the ruffian, and he has Florence with him. And he's going to kill her. It's a trap. I'm sure of it.' He was shouting in the dark, dragging the two men along with irresistible force. They neared the motors. "'Get ready!' he ordered as soon as he was in sight. "'I'll drive myself.' He tried to get into the driver's seat, but Weber objected and pushed him inside, saying, "'Don't trouble. The chauffeur knows his business. He'll drive faster than you would.' Don Luis, the deputy chief, and two detectives crowded into the cab. Mazeroux took his seat beside the chauffeur. "'Versailles Road!' roared Don Luis. The car started, and he continued, "'We've got him. You see, it's a magnificent opportunity. He must be going pretty fast, but without forcing the pace, because he doesn't think we're after him. Oh, the villain! We'll make him sit up. Quicker, driver! But what the devil are we loaded up like this for? You and I, deputy chief, would have been enough. Hi, Mazeroux, get down and jump into the other car. That'll be better, won't it, deputy? It's absurd!' He interrupted himself, and as he was sitting on the back seat between the deputy chief and the detective, he rose toward the window and muttered, "'Why, look here, what's the idiot doing? That's not the road. I say, what does this mean?' A roar of laughter was the only answer. It came from Weber, who was shaking with delight. Don Luis stifled an oath, and, making a tremendous effort, tried to leap from the car. Six hands fell upon him and held him motionless. The deputy chief had him by the throat. The detectives clutched his arms. There was no room for him to struggle within the restricted space of the small car, and he felt the cold iron of a revolver on his temple. "'None of your nonsense!' growled Weber, or I'll blow out your brains, my boy. Ha-ha! <laughs> you didn't expect this. It's Weber's revenge, eh? And when Perena continued to wriggle, he went on in a threatening tone. You'll have only yourself to blame, mind. I'm going to count three. One, two. But what's this all about? bellowed Don Luis. Prefect's orders received just now. What orders? To take you to the lock-up if the Florence girl escaped us again. Have you a warrant? I have. And what next? What next? Nothing. The santé. The examining magistrate. But hang it all, the tiger's making tracks meanwhile. Oh, rot! Is it possible to be so dense? What mugs those fellows are! Oh, dash it! He was fuming with rage, and when he saw that they were driving into the prison-yard, he gathered all his strength, knocked the revolver out of the deputy's hand, and stunned one of the detectives with a blow of his fist. But ten men came crowding round the doors. Resistance was useless. He understood this, and his rage increased. "'The idiots!' he shouted while they surrounded him and searched him at the door of the office. "'The rotters! The bunglers! To go mucking up a job like that! They can lay hands on the villain if they want to, and they lock up the honest man, while the villain makes himself scarce. 
and he'll do more murder yet. Florence! Florence! Under the lamplight in the midst of the detectives holding him, he was magnificent in his helpless violence. They dragged him away. With an unparalleled display of strength, he drew himself up, shook off the men who were hanging on to him like a pack of hounds worrying some animal at bay, got rid of Weber, and accosted Mazeroux in familiar tones. He was gloriously masterful, almost calm, so wholly did he appear to control his seething rage. He gave his orders in breathless little sentences, curt as words of command. Mazeroux, run around to the prefects. Ask him to ring up Valanglais. Yes, the Prime Minister. I want to see him. Have him informed. Ask the prefect to say it's I, the man who made the German Emperor play his game. My name? He knows. Or if he forgets, the prefect can tell him my name. He paused for a second or two, and then, calmer still, he declared, Arsène Lupin. Telephone those two words to him and just say this. Arsène Lupin wishes to speak to the Prime Minister on very important business. Get that through to him at once. The Prime Minister would be very angry if he heard afterward that they had neglected to communicate my request. Go, Mazeroux, and then find the villain's tracks again. The governor of the prison had opened the jail-book. You can enter my name, monsieur le directeur, said Don Luis. Put down Arsène Lupin. The governor smiled and said, I should find a difficulty in putting down any other. It's on the warrant. Arsène Lupin, alias Don Luis Perena. Don Luis felt a little shudder pass through him at the sound of those words. The fact that he was arrested under the name of Arsène Lupin made his position doubly dangerous. Ah, he said, so they've resolved. I should think so, said Weber, in a tone of triumph. We're resolved to take the bull by the horns and to go straight for Lupin. Plucky of us, eh? Never fear, we'll show you something better than that. Don Luis did not flinch. Turning to Mazeroux again, he said, Don't forget my instructions, Mazeroux. But there was a fresh blow in store for him. The sergeant did not answer his remark. Don Luis watched him closely and once more gave a start. He had just perceived that Mazeroux was also surrounded by men who were holding him tight, and the poor sergeant stood silently shedding tears. Weber's liveliness increased. You'll have to excuse him, Lupin. Sergeant Mazeroux accompanies you to prison, though not in the same cell. Ah, said Don Luis, drawing himself up, is Mazeroux put into jail? Prefect's orders, warrant duly executed. And on what charge? Accomplice of Arsène Lupin. Mazeroux, my accomplice. Get out! Mazeroux, the most honest man that ever lived. The most honest man that ever lived, as you say. That didn't prevent people from going to him when they wanted to write to you, or prevent him from bringing you the letters, which proves that he knew where you were hanging out, and there's a good deal more which will explain to you, Lupin, in good time. You'll have plenty of fun, I assure you. Don Luis murmured, My poor Mazeroux. Then, raising his voice, he said, don't cry, old chap. It's just a matter of the remainder of the night. Yes, I'll share my cards with you, and we'll turn the king and mark game in a very few hours. Don't cry. I've got a much finer berth waiting for you, a more honourable and, above all, a more lucrative position. I have just what you want. You don't imagine, surely, that I wasn't prepared for this. Why, you know me. Take it from me. I shall be at liberty to-morrow, and the government, after setting you free, will pitch you into a colonelcy or something, with a marshal's pay attached to it. So don't cry, Mazeroux. Then, addressing Weber, he said to him in the voice of a principal giving an order, and knowing that the order will be executed without discussion, "'Monsieur, I will ask you to fulfil the confidential mission which I was entrusting to Mazeroux. First, inform the Prefect of Police that I have a communication of the very highest importance to make to the Prime Minister. Next, discover the tiger's tracks at Versailles before the night is over. I know your merit, monsieur, and I rely entirely upon your diligence and your zeal. Meet me at twelve o'clock to-morrow.' and still maintaining his attitude of a principal who has given his instructions, he allowed himself to be taken to his cell. 
It was ten to one. For the last fifty minutes the enemy had been bowling along the high road, carrying off Florence like a prey which it now seemed impossible to snatch from him. The door was locked and bolted. Don Luis reflected. Even presuming that Monsieur le Préfet consents to ring up Valanglais, he won't do so before the morning. So they've given the villain eight hours' start before I'm free. Eight hours! Curse it! He thought a little longer, then shrugged his shoulders with the air of one who, for the moment, has nothing better to do than wait, and flung himself on his mattress, murmuring, Hushabye, Lupin. End of chapter 16